Hello. So this is a series of announcements and the first of many AMAs, meaning ask me anything, for a podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dane. Masculinity is the most valuable currency for mankind in the 21st century. There's plenty of talk of land, gold, and crypto, but these are the external possessions man cannot bring with him to every end of the earth. A man first is his being, whether in alignment or out of balance, long before he's ever marked by his wealth of external possessions. Masculinity has become increasingly valuable in this age, which peculiar circumstance, as the only true way to cultivate masculinity is not from external sources, but from within. Mankind has been seduced into ending its pursuit of masculinity in the name of material wealth holding the highest value paired with a guaranteed supply of comfort sources and alcohol, television, and automated services removing any need for movement into decision making. Mankind on the surface has told itself that it is happy with its arrangement, but in the loneliest, truest moments in life, men who live in this sanitized bubble know they are deeply unhappy and unfulfilled. When they are put face to face with themselves in the mirror, they will notice one of many ways they are not cultivating a manhood they viscerally feel they are capable of. This comes in many forms. Mankind is neglecting their fullest potential physically, mentally, chemically, spiritually, and narratively. Physically, man will see the professional athlete being lauded in every athletics-based news cycle that graces the television to see their physical development as something alien. That their numerous practices of cultivating attributes of longevity and endurance and most importantly strength will have a near-infinite ripple effect in their lives. In addition to this, it is likely he will find a specific physical skill that he is authentically passionate about and will work tirelessly to develop. Mentally, man will know the creeping, looming understanding he is not using his God-given intelligence and creativity for all they have to offer. This cultivation of higher use of one's intelligence and truth begins with the cultivation of mental discipline and toughness. With these attributes developed, man is able to create a bedrock for his mind to consistently stand upon and strive for his fullest intellectual and creative potential. Chemically, man, specifically in the Western world, has been given a toxic set of circumstances that has only grown exponentially over the past 35 years. Testosterone is a chemical quantification for masculinity, and every decision made by governing bodies has contributed to a plummeting average level of testosterone in the common man. This has made man weaker, more depressed, uncertain, and truly weak. This is a silent enemy that many men have lived their entire lives completely unaware of. When this chemical deficiency is diagnosed and respectively corrected, man finds that he is in truth chemically wired to be decisive, stoic, and strong to serve as a pillar of strength in his family and community for all to lean on. The crumbling of mankind's testosterone is manifested on a grander scale in a crumbling society. Spiritually, man has been forced out of many religions that have grown westernized and feminized. 60% plus of Christian men find themselves alienated by their churches due to an overemphasis on feminine qualities. This has led to mass false conclusion that cultivating a strong spiritual life is an, is an exclusively feminine practice. On the contrary, spirituality is essential to masculinity, for if man is in alignment with divinity, he cannot be aligned with himself, and therefore be wholeheartedly certain about what is and is not of his being and character. Narrative is the final aspect of masculinity that many feel confused upon first glance of seeing. The journey of the hero in myth and all other forms and ages of storytelling is merely a reflection of man's journey towards growth through accepting a plunge into uncertainty and adventure with an ultimate greater good at stake. When man is physically, mentally, chemically, and spiritually aligned, the cycle of the hero's journey he is on grows far clearer, and he knows exactly what path is the right one. The society of men on the highest path possible, their paths of Logos, is a society of strength, endurance, followed by peace, and ultimately enlightenment and advancement. Without the foundations of masculinity fully aligned in the majority of men, this stability of society cannot be achieved, and man will remain in the doldrums forever. Man is not without help, however. Man can rid himself of poison. Man can have his chemical makeup work in his favor to develop physically, mentally, and spiritually, to find their individual narrative of the greater good, which will contribute to the grandest good for of all time far sooner than many realize. It starts with these small decisions first. Good morning, guys. Happy Sunday. So this episode of the podcast, uh, it's just I want to take some time. It will be a bit less formal. I'm going to read a piece, as always, um, and do a few announcements uh, for sort of the future ahead for the podcast, the future ahead of all the content, and uh, some of the things that... Uh, 
blood and rain is branching out into. Um, you'll probably notice the uh, the professionally done intro uh, done at the beginning. Uh, that was donated courtesy of an audio engineer named Josiah Smithson. He does a number of what he calls audio logos for professional purposes, for podcasters. Um, he's absolutely incredible at what he does. And he was kind enough to donate that logo for the sake of the podcast. Uh, I hope you go give him a follow. His Instagram handle is Josiah, J-O-S-I-A-H underscore Smithson. So S-M-I-T-H-S-O-N. Um, his company's called The Audio Tailors slash Mad Hatter's Daughter. Uh, a very talented man. He has a website as well, www.josiahsmithson.com. Um, he reached out to me and offered it, and that was greatly appreciated. So thank you so much, Josiah. And the piece that was just read was actually the intro to a an ebook on testosterone that my new good friend and business partner, Primal Thrive, wrote. He asked me to write an intro to sort of tie it all together, um, because as you, many of you know, and for those of you who are unaware, I spoke with Primal Thrive back in January, and I saw that actually I had seen a, I had seen a post written by him, and it was shared by a good friend of mine, Greater Myth, and it was very well written. It was about not accepting weakness, and then I checked out his page and on his Instagram story. He had a score of his testosterone, I believe it was like 1440, um, which is absolutely through the roof. It's, it's professional athlete levels. So I, I bit, and I was, I was very uh, very curious, and I said, uh, what methods do you use uh, for boosting your testosterone? He said, I have many, you know, which gave me a bit of a giggle. So, um, yeah, so I, I reached out to him. And uh, we got on the phone, we, we hit it off, and uh, found her pretty like-minded, and I found that my skill set in strength and conditioning and mental toughness cultivation was pretty congruent with his um, expertise in boosting testosterone and biohacking in general, including things like um, hormone balancing and hair growth and whatnot. So him and I started to engage in group trainings, uh, monthly group trainings. Um, basically every Saturday we'll do a PowerPoint and presentation on various aspects of chemically restoring oneself in terms of testosterone and other hormones, um, as well as cultivating um, and learning, really learning all the principles of testosterone, learning all the principles of hormone balancing when it comes to diet and lifestyle and sleep schedule and things of that nature. And then my, my half of the education is in learning all the principles of all aspects of strength and conditioning. So not just learning one principle from one sort of fitness guru, but you don't really know how to apply it to an overall, you know, sound, balanced plan of training. Um, and also how to plan your training correctly and intelligently weeks, months, and even years in advance. Uh, and then for when things go wrong, certain techniques and mental toughness to be able to endure when things don't go according to plan. Um, it's been very well received, but we noticed that when we started including literature about holistic masculinity, it was, it was more tied up. You know, it is a business pursuit for us, um, but it is becoming a passion project about creating, helping cultivate, helping men cultivate their highest logos of masculinity, um, their, their best, most masculine self. Um, so with that, we had that initial group coaching, which is sort of the, you know, the baseline, you know, in five weeks, learn sort of the, pr the basic principles. We have a follow-up group coaching for those who have been through that group coaching, where we go deeper into specifics of testosterone, hormones, um, strength and conditioning, and mental toughness, and we'll be going into how you can effectively plan and adjust um, a regimen and a diet and a... Um, and a practice for hormones and testosterone. And then we also offer just uh, one on or two on one, so you have both of our minds to have a bit more of a direct route in learning and, and diagnosing some of your pitfalls and how we can turn them into benefits. So we're doing a lot of stuff. Um, him and I, we're going to be working with coaches, we're going to be working with medical professionals, um, and we'd love to help you guys out. We would love to help you restore yourself. 
Um, there's a free ebook that he's published on testosterone. It's both on my link tree and Primal Thrive's link tree. Go give him a follow. And and um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the extent of what we're doing for now. We're also we're going to be releasing more and more literature just on testosterone, just sort of, to sort of flood uh, the solar sphere, the manosphere, uh, the red pill community, just manhood in general. Um, there's an article being released very soon. Um, it is it is called. The correlation between diminishing testosterone and the fall of hard rock, because if you look at past 34 years, as testosterone standards in the Western world began to severely dip, you saw the gradual disappearance of hard rock, and this is no coincidence. So that is going to be a free ebook published on Blood and Rain Books, which brings me to Blood and Rain Books. Now, I've already reached out to all of my subscribers, explaining my situation. Uh, I'm moving out. Uh, my current place of living on Tuesday, moving to San Francisco. Um, once that is settled, and a couple other things, uh, emergencies I had going on with my fiance, mother, and uncle, respectively, so please keep them in your prayers, um, I've had to delay some of the content for Blood and Rain books. Uh, with that, though, um, so there's one chapter out of Kleos of Kichira, um, the Greek hero story. There are four chapters being completed right now to restore all the chapters. Um, there are two poems being written, being completed right now, and uh, two essays. One of the essays will be that uh, essay for free, which is the correlation between diminishing testosterone and the fall of hard rock. Uh, but the latest essay will be part of the subscription. For those of you who don't know, Blood and Rain Books is my subscription long-form long content platform. It's available both on Gumroad and Patreon. And once the format is restored, once I release all these leftover pieces, it will be we will be returning to the regular frequency of Monday, an essay, Wednesday, a chapter of the currently written novella. Right now it is Koyos and Kifira. It is a story of a Greek hero. And then Friday will be a poem. So for $3 subscription a month, you'll be able to um, get all this long-form content. And then later on, you'll be able to purchase uh, collections of poetry in a physical form and collections of essays in a physical form and novellas in a physical form, as well as a novel that I am releasing third quarter of this year. That is a full-length novel, the title of which I am still not allowed to disclose. So that's what's going on with Blood and Rain books. Um, obviously, I highly suggest that you... Uh, it's just $3. Um, I'm writing... Honestly, I'm... I'm, I'm writing my best content on Blood and Rain books. Um, if you reach out to any of the subscribers, you know, Zenovial, Intuit, or Devin Madrano of Nature Pilled, uh, they'll tell you, you know, these are my closer friends who are subscribing right now, um, but they'll be able to tell you all about it. Um, so, that is sort of the future for the frequency of Blood and Rain books being restored. Um, now, in regards to the podcast, uh, we'll be returning to a regular format of Thursday being the guest podcast at Thursday, 7 p.m. Pacific, not Pacific, daylight time, and Sunday at noon being the, Sunday at noon um, being the solo podcast. Uh, but I thought now would be a good time, uh, since I'm in a bit of a transition, to be a bit more informal. And those are sort of all the announcements I have right now. Um, for those of you in the solar sphere, Forrest Munden is planning a soul seminar in Seattle. Um, we have no details on that yet, but um, those of you serious about the movement um, might want to keep an eye out on that. Uh, once he announces it, I'll announce it. Um, and then uh, there's a couple other things in the works that I have to keep close to the vest right now, but um, yeah, pretty exciting times. Um, despite, you know, the bit of the turbulence, we're headed into the final week of Lent for all you Orthodox Christians. Um, and uh, I have a guest piece that I'm going to be writing with the symposium. Uh, him and I brainstorming tonight, and it's going to be in regards to Lent and Pascha. And for those of you who don't know, Pascha is Orthodox Easter. So, uh, before I go, let's get into all of your fantastic questions. Thank you for not holding back this time. Sometimes I have to give you guys a push. You know, you get all shy. I'm not that unapproachable, guys. I've been told I've been unapproachable, but really I'm not. The door's just heavy. So, thank you for not holding back on your questions this time. So, the first is the best fiction and best non-fiction books that I've read. Uh, I've talked a bit about this before, but for all you new listeners, I'm always happy to reiterate. Uh, best fiction books. The Great Gatsby. It's a bit of a stereotypical answer, but I've read it five times now. It is... It's it's a painting on a book of longing. And it's... you you you've, 
Uh, my most recent guest being Husband Pod has spoke has said very eloquently, you feel Gatsby. It's incredible. Um, Dune. Dune will teach you about everything. Dune by Frank Herbert, written in 1965. It's a science fiction book that will teach you about politics, it'll teach you about science, it'll teach you about religion, it'll teach you about mysticism, it'll teach you about manhood, it'll teach you about leadership, it'll teach you about uncertainty, um, it'll teach you about culture. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, let's see, what other fiction books? The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, we want to talk about just a grand orchestration, you know, 700 plus pages by Alexander Dumas. It's, it's a book that recently hasn't been, you know, in the fold, um, you know, being spoken of very much. But imagine, you know, weaving 42 characters in one overarching plot. Each of them are very fully fleshed out. It is an incredible piece of romantic literature. Let's see what else for... Um, I mean, okay, that's not really... I was going to say Into the Wild, so we'll, we'll call it Into the Wild for nonfiction about Christopher McC Chris McCandless's um, burning of his, all his cash, donating his $25,000 of savings after graduating college at Emory University in 1992, and just going AWOL and walking into the wild. Um, incredible book, changed my life. Um, the Things They Carried, that's actually straddling fiction and nonfiction. It's about Vietnam War and a bit of hallucination. Uh, one of the original books touching on the concept of what is real and what is not real, and blurred lines between the two. Um, best fiction, sleep. Okay, so we'll dive in a bit of best nonfiction. Um, I did a whole podcast, guys, on Grand Strategy by James Gaddis. Um, an incredible book on long term planning and strategizing and planning ahead for pitfalls that are either foreseen or unforeseen. Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. Um, basically, that book, in short, is 500-plus essays on how to turn pressure and chaos and randomness into power to draw from, um, growing from them, as opposed to just being robust and resisting them or being fragile and breaking from them. Um, let's see, Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Willink, you know, it's written unlike any other book, he calls it a field manual for living life, I completely agree. Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, baddest man on the planet, plain and simple. Um, Gustave Le Bon's The Crowd, um, that's just a little, about a hundred plus pages on mob mentality. And it was written in the late 1890s, and he was talking about sort of the changing of hands between monarchs and the proletariat due to mob rule, uh, which is why you're seeing a lot of shady grand orchestration by higher elites today, honestly. Um, and they're also manipulating the mob accordingly, as many of you can see. Um, it's one book that is escaping me by French philosopher Jacques Derrida. Um, Jacques Derrida is one of the few guys who really, in, a, in the realm of postmodernism, it is actually worth reading. Um, I've I've spoke about this with um, with um, Zenobia before that. You know, and, and I spoke about this with Will Spencer as well. Uh, Renaissance of Men. That you know the fruits of modernism and the fruits of postmodernism disappeared pretty quickly, and they're all at the beginning. Um, but I would just recommend go go check out just collections of Jacques Derrida's essays in general because I'm looking through. I've read a lot of his books and right now I'm seeing all of the titles in French. But um, I would highly recommend reading Jacques Derrida's works, especially his essays. You want to look up a concept he calls the event. So what he's saying, he he proposes something that I happen to f almost fully agree with. Well, and he actually he actually refined his philosophy was that sort of uh, society and time and all the things that we sort of live through has a crystalline, almost hexagonal structure. And something called the event happens, right? And the, the center of that structure always changes. The center never stays the same. Like the center of society, the center of time, the center of the zeitgeist, the center of political philosophy, the center of unrest, it never stays the same. It always changes, and that happens with an event. But what remains is a crystalline structure surrounding that center, and it was a fascinating concept to me when I, when I first read it. Other fiction books, Pillars of the Earth, I think, honestly, um, 100 Years of Solitude, I, I've based some of my works off of concepts of 100 Years of Solitude, that's another book that gets into real and not real, um, but I think the, the better written version of that is Ken Follet's uh, Pillars of the Earth, that was also made into a miniseries starring uh, a younger Eddie Redmayne and Haley Atwell. Uh, very good miniseries, but I would recommend reading the behemoths of books. Um, 
Leo Tolstoy's A Confession for Nonfiction, that is his sort of testimony as a religious radical. And what I mean by religious radical, like he thought the Orthodox Church wasn't pure enough because of certain power grabs by humanity. So he became a religious ascetic, and that's sort of his his testimonial on being, you know, a devout Christian, but one who's not involved in the church. Very interesting read. Um, other obviously other works by Tolstoy, you know, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Uh, he's one of the greatest authors of all time. Um, let's see, what else? I want to make sure I give you the full nine yards here. Um, you know, I have a semi-neglected um, great American novel. I mean, okay, so some of the obvious ones, guys. If you haven't read Huckleberry Finn, read Huckleberry Finn. If you haven't read Walden Pond and Civil Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau, you should go read that. Um, that's, that's one of the cornerstone pieces of transcendentalism and... Um, Rogan individualism with civil disobedience. Um, any other French literature I can dive into? Any other nonfiction? You know what, guys? That's that's pretty good for now. If I think of things as the podcast goes on, I'll just keep adding to them. So I sort of reserve the right to do so. Thank you for that question. That was the user YGDR underscore underscore. Don't know how to pronounce that, but thank you for your question. Uh, Eric Granados. 22 has asked the value of hunting slash fishing in coming years well that's you know it depends on how society goes man um if you know biden announced yesterday the imbecile that he is uh that he wants to limit meat consumption by uh one burger a month which obviously is never gonna happen unless shit really hits the fan um if shit really hits the fan and you go off the grid well yeah hunting and fishing is very valuable obviously because you don't want mass-produced meat injected with hormones or meat will pass off that isn't meat which is really soy impossible estrogenic food so yeah hunting big game hunting deer you know hunting um <laughs> if you're far north enough caribou yeah it's gonna be great and obviously if you can fish in untainted waters that's also gonna be very good for you as well um i mean there's also the the looming thing that uh, there's a podcast that one of the better podcasts that joe rogan did and i forget the gentleman's name i'll, I'll sort of link it in the show notes as i'm that's another guy, announcement guys i'm going to start doing show notes as beautiful or an attempt as beautiful as the show notes in uh in will spence's renaissance of men podcast um so yeah i i would say it's going to be pretty valuable you know even if things get better and it's looking like things are getting better because well we won't touch upon that but uh, I have some on good authority that things are going to get much better in, in the realm of society and, and the nation in the United States and probably Western Europe uh, in general in the coming weeks. But even if even you know even if it does get better, I would recommend those skills being high value because they're going to help you deepen your understanding of masculinity and deepen your understanding of sort of I don't want to call it the circle of life like Lion King, but yeah, um, we're the apex predator due to our intelligence, um, but also have respect for the discipline of hunting and fishing. Um, there's an ancestral tie to it because all of our ancestors had to do it. Um, so I would say it's valuable in a utopian society and it's valuable in a dystopian society. So whichever way politics and all that nonsense goes, um, very valuable and I'd highly recommend engaging it. Uh, Monkey12335 uh, spelled M-O-N-K-E, no Y, Monke, one, two, three, three, five. I'm thinking of starting a martial art. Why did you choose Muay Thai? Well, when I was in, uh, when I was in London, the closest, uh, I, I had heard two things, um, that the best martial arts to start with were Kung Fu and Muay Thai. I really didn't know any better at the time, so I'm very glad I started with Muay Thai because there's very, very little Kung Fu outside of the Eastern world that is actually effective um, there, it is out there but there's a lot of like fake grandmasters and i have hidden power and then they go against you know mma guys and get wrecked um there are some you know legitimate kung fu monks who have gotten in the ring and really scrapped well against tough guys there's one in particular he beat everyone except Kao that he fought and obviously Kao is an all-time great muay thai fighter so that's not that big a deal that he was the Kao. um but yeah, I had heard that um, Kung Fu and Muay Thai are the best to start with. Uh, there was a gym closer to my drama school in London that I started going to. And um, I fell in love with that. I threw three punches and a kick. Um, you know, a guy from up north. And uh, I think he's like from Bradford. He's like, mate, you've got natural power in your hands and your legs. You know, something can go really far if you want to. 
And I said, hey man, you don't need to sell me. I'm going to spend the last of my student loan on this money. Or the last of my student loan money on this course. I'm, no, I'm serious. I'm giving you a thin, another free pad system just to prove it to you. You know, you've got natural God-given power on your hands and your legs. You know, if you really want to put in the work. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, but I, I fell in love with it. It's tough. It's technical. It's brutal. Um, it's a complete striking art. You have eight points of attack and you have clinching and takedowns involved. When it comes to the stand-up, there's no better martial art. Um, Alright, I need to read your full user for this one. Alright, so... Shurbindra underscore Bikram underscore Sijat has asked me, have you got your COVID vaccine or will you? No, I have not. Um, there are plenty of... <laughs> I actually uh, lived with some medical professionals who did receive it, but look at look up the literature. It's not an actual vaccine. It's um it's a gene therapy sort of fix, quote unquote fix, and um it's uh it's still a trial period till 2023, guys. So you are literally the guinea pigs if you're if you're taking it. Um, there are people who have died from it. There's plenty of cover up from that. Um, it's caused fertility problems. Um, yeah. I'm absolutely not going to take it. Um, I'm not anti-vax by any means. Um, there, I think there are vaccines that have proven to be effective. Um, but I'd say for the most part, I'll be w more wary of them. Uh, I know people personally whose kids turned autistic post-vaccine. Um, they say that's a myth. It's not. Um, so you have to really discern and do your research which ones are beneficial and which ones are detrimental. The ones that had like 40 years plus of research, like those are safer bets. But I mean, this one, they just whipped out in five seconds, you know, so no, absolutely not. A uh, buddy of mine, I'm not going to say his, uh, his Instagram username, uh, he's actually going to come on the podcast. Uh, he uh, He's the one who asked me way in the beginning of this page, uh, how did my quads get so big? Because he knows me in real life, and I posted a funny little squat routine, a squat deadlift routine that shouldn't really work with the principles of training that I know, but it did work somehow. Um, he asked me, where you been? Uh, I've been moving, dude. You know this. Uh, but him, he's going to be training Muay Thai with me, and uh, he, he's going to train, you know, just strike with me in general before I move to San Diego, Phoenix, or Seattle. Um, and uh, yeah, that's another announcement, guys. I'm getting out of the Bay Area uh, mid-July. Enough is enough. Uh, it's just getting too crazy out here, it's too expensive, and um, I, I need to change, and I feel that's on my path to go figure out what the next step is before ultimately moving to Europe, actually. Um, getting my EU passport to move to Paris, Amsterdam, or London. Um, I'd love for it to be Paris. Um, Amsterdam would probably be the most optimal for striking-wise. But that's the more long-term move. The next move, you know, the most immediate move is this Tuesday to San Francisco. And then mid-July, I'm moving to San Diego, Seattle, or Phoenix. Uh, I'm going to be checking out Seattle and Phoenix next week. Um, and then I've been to San Diego before. Um, really like it down there, so we'll see. And But, uh, yeah, this guy, he's going to be training. He's going to come on the podcast. He's a he's an 82nd Airborne, um, Iraq, Afghanistan. I believe in Afghanistan. He could, he'll probably correct me on the podcast if I'm wrong. He's a veteran. He's a Norse Pagan, for all you Norse Pagans, some follow-up to the podcast, Forest London, and Oaks and Oats, so he can sort of weigh in on that, his testimony on that, and he's going to be training with me um, before I leave, before he goes to a Kyokushin gym, so look out for that podcast. Um, Catholic Crusader 1, um, I just, nah, maybe I should probably put this question, I shouldn't really use your name, I hope he doesn't mind. Catholic underscore Crusader 1, I don't feel like men, just a boy. Um, well, that could be a number, there could be a number of reasons for that. Um, there are a number of, you know, contributors that would make sense in that question. Um, and I think I responded to him in saying, you know, I got you uh, with this. Um, you know what, let me pull up my messages with this gentleman so I can properly answer his question. There we go. I just feel like I never achieved much due to my mother forcing me to be in the house 24-7. I have a hard time with my emotions and depression. I'm having to join the Marines. I'm trying to join the Marines, but I have. Hard time with physical fitness. Okay, I mean, so, obviously with your mother, you know, probably I would imagine do some COVID nonsense or whatever. 
Um, she's having you do 24-7 stuff. Um, they're having you inside 24-7. You can do a lot of bodyweight fitness stuff that will seriously help you, especially for something like the Marines. Um, you know what? I'll send you a regimen, brother. And, um, excuse me, I'll link the, I'll put a link in that regimen. Um, I actually wrote a, a bodyweight regimen for Primal Thrive since he's in Belgium and he doesn't have access to weights yet. Uh, it's proven very effective for him. Same thing for Neo Libertate, for those of you who are familiar with his work. Um, yeah. And in terms of mental toughness, sort of press against the, 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 the almost, I don't want to call it oppression, but the, the sort of the, the noise from your mother. Um, use that as mental fuel to grow. Read Anti-Fragile. Understand the concept of Anti-Fragile. You can get a free PDF somewhere on the internet. Read that. Do the body weight routine I sent you. Do a flexibility routine I'm going to send you, and uh, you should be good to go, brother. All right, back to the archive of questions. Oh, by the way, guys, I posted a, on my Instagram story, I posted a video of a guy DJing uh, on my break. That's not me. <laughs> That's one of my coworkers at one of the bars I work at. Just FYI, if someone asks, is that you? I'm like, no, that's not me. Okay, uh, Athanas, sorry, Athanasios underscore 1337 said, thoughts on Norway? You know, I don't have too much of a, too much of a sample size to base an opinion on Norway off of, uh, to be fair, but um, looks like a really cool country. Everyone I've met from there has been really cool, very honorable. Um, the country looks beautiful. You have a lot of nature involved. You're very good at winter sports. You've done some amazing things in the world of strength and conditioning that go overlooked. Um, so I'd my thoughts are that I'd love to visit and get to know more. Plain and simple. Ah, brother into it. Always good to hear from him. Does fake it till you make it ever work? Ah, sometimes. Sometimes. It, it really depends on how you do it. I've... You know, some situations... You know, some, maybe you're thrust into leadership, or you're thrust into a situation where you were called upon to be a leader, you're called upon to improvise. Sometimes you, you really are just faking it until you figure it out as you go. You're sometimes faking it until you buy time for you to buy time so you can learn how to not fake it. Um, it's pretty valid. So I wouldn't say faking it completely in isolation ever works because it doesn't, but faking it to buy time and to instill confidence in the others surrounding you in a given situation of leadership or um, let's say you plunge yourself into a new pursuit, right? Um, let's say you, you know, let's say you got into Muay Thai, right? And you're trying to you're trying to act like a Muay Thai fighter while you're trying to learn. If you come in with a temperament where you're trying you're, you're trying to embody what you're trying to become, that's that's slash faking it slash manifesting it. It, it. it would be faking it if you didn't do the work to eventually get to what you're sort of acting like that's still hollow. It'd be faking it completely if, if, if you weren't doing those things. But if you're, if you're doing the, the work to manifest what you're quote-unquote faking, that, that sort of air, that sort of persona, then it's not faking it. You're just manifesting it. So bit of a bit of a subtle difference there. But um, yeah, I think faking it to buy yourself time to actually become what you're trying to become. There's a lot of validity in that. Shad T. Thomas, do you do any training with firearms? If so, what does it look like? You know, not as much as I'd like, man. Um, all hand-to-hand -hand combat. I've done a lot of bladed combat with Kali sticks. I've done a lot of armed combat with Kali sticks, um, training Salat, Karambit, knife fighting, and um, sort of longer form knife fighting. Um, but I'm going to be getting into firearms training with a new interesting line of work that I'm getting into, not to disclose too much. Um, the extent of what I've done, I've done some rifle training back in Boy Scouts, and then I did a lot of shotgun, sporting clay stuff with my father, um, down in the Central Valley in California, so, um, yeah, uh, I'm going to be incorporating more, to answer your question. Ah, greater myth, always good to hear from your brother. Um, should someone on an honorable path where he'll probably die young, marry and have kids? Well, first of all, it sounds like I need an update in your life, brother. Um, <laughs> but uh, second of all, um, it's a great question, actually. I would say it depends. I mean, first of all, it depends on you know the visceral feeling on your 
find that hero's journey path I mentioned before and sort of tap into that and understand what, you know, divinity expects of you and whatnot, right? Um, find what you're viscerally called to do. Um, I would, you know, I, I would, okay, I would say in a more literal sense, if, if your kids and spouse would, would be safe post your death and you're in that situation where, like, you know they'd be financially set for the most part and they'd be safe after your death, yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. As long as, you know, you raise your kids, you know, with an understanding that, you know, you're on this honorable path that is dangerous, but there's a reason why you're doing it. So that way, if you die, the kids aren't, like, left with this trauma that will t could potentially take generations to heal. It's very, you have to be very careful with these things as we're figuring out with science. Um, real science, not, you know, propagandized science. Um... Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't recommend um, I wouldn't recommend doing that if your kids and spouse would be screwed over. Um, and then, if you're on that monk path, then you know, if if you feel called to a monk path, don't let other people say you should have a wife and kids. You know, yank you off of that and vice versa. So, I'm gonna reach out to you, brother. I'm gonna have to write your next training program. I've been writing, you know, six months plus of programming for Greater Myth. So, uh, I need to reach out to him and uh, get that squared away. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, he's really making waves in writing. I would recommend following him as well. Follow Intuit and follow Greater.Myth. Uh, great content creators. Uh, Greater Myth is from northern India, and Intuit is from the Sunshine Coast in Australia. So really awesome perspectives as well, guys. Marete um, Chad. Uh, should there be a leader of group? Should there be a leader of group amongst friends? And if so, how to become one and show that? Um... Not necessarily. I mean, there, you know, there can be a leader amongst friends. You know, there can be that default guy who sort of organize things and say where they're going to go and, you know, I don't know, maybe this, this kind of smells like a question. It's like how to become the alpha among friends. But, you know, some groups, you know, are pretty well balanced and there's you don't really need leadership. And sometimes there are groups with leaders. Um, I don't think you have to have a leader in just a regular group of friends as long as, like, if you're, if you're trying to achieve a common goal, like, sometimes a leader can be beneficial, but if it's just a group of friends, I don't really see why. Um, if, you, if you're really hell-bent on doing so, um, I don't know, be the best at everything in your group, and you'll probably, you know, become the leader by default. Sun Sun 8, how can I become more confident? Um... I would say address all of the qualities of masculinity that I spoke of in the opening piece. So, physical, get your physical training in check. Mental, um, start cultivating mental toughness and discipline. Um, chemical, do what you can in terms of t uh, testosterone boosting. Eat more organ meats, that's all I'm going to say. Um, get better sleep. And then, um, spiritually get aligned spiritually, and then try to understand the hero's journey path, uh, it's in cycle that you're on, yeah, if really, if you get those squared away, you're gonna feel more confident, if you're disciplined and, and all of those things, you're gonna feel more confident, ooh, monkey, one, two, three, three, five is back, oh, no, I already answered that question, ah, Colin Zasbury, so, uh, pure Zasbury, uh, that's Colin, he runs a podcast called The Primal Life on YouTube, it's about training, uh, I've been a guest on it once. That was my first guest appearance as a podcaster. And uh, Primal Thrive and I were just a guest on that podcast. So go check that out. We talk about uh, more about the, our pursuits with, with the business. Um, and just check out his podcast in general. He's only 18. He has like a 500 plus deadlift. He can do 20 pull-ups in and, and, and a set. You know, really strong, good kid. Um, he's a bright future. He has a, he has a clothing brand as well called Primal Thread. So I'd recommend you go checking that out. How can aggression and religion coexist without becoming overly comfortable or overly angry? Well, this is a fantastic question. So this is, um, you know, th like everything in life, it's a balancing act. But you also need to sort of, you need to keep aggression within certain parameters. Aggression is great for, for controlled aggression, because wild aggression can get you killed. And wild aggression can have you do stupid things. Controlled, harnessed, cold aggression, sort of this assassin's mindset I speak about a lot. Um towards physical pursuits, towards productive pursuits that don't involve other people, so it's like you're not rubbing you're not rubbing people the wrong way and compromising a group effort. Um, yeah, just harness pure aggression in those pursuits are fantastic. 
Um, and the more masculinity you cultivate, the more gentle you have to be with, you know, with women, the more gentle you have to be with children, the more gentle you need to be in religious settings. Um, because you have all that energy that, you know, can get loose and hurt, but, you know, we're trying to be virtuous men, we're trying to cultivate that energy and control it. So, yeah, I would say compartmentalization and uh, being precise with where you apply your aggression. And um, also get in alignment with divinity first, whatever your faith may be. And, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty simple, actually. Um, it, it's it's it, I understand the question because it, it feels more complicated than it is. We sort of like, do I need to constantly be aggressive? But the, the operative word here is control. Don't, don't vilify your aggression, but control your aggression. And be very conscious and very stoic in where to apply it. And um, when it comes to religion, you know, there's strength in, in surrendering to divinity because it is the it is alignment that's the one place where surrender is strength that faith strength that ground grounding through religion is strength silent dot professional underscore 210 how can i learn to stand up for myself when i'm wrong not to be jocko willink here but stand up for yourself when you're wrong don't be an asshole but be as aggressive as you need to be if you're if you find that you're standing up for yourself and they're not listening then you need to keep upping the notches until you're heard right i'm not saying get super violent maybe um maybe okay well maybe you were i don't i, don't, I have no idea about your background but maybe you're in school and there's a bully well if you have a bully punch him in the nose plain and simple but just when you're wrong speak speak precisely just you know in more in more you know in less aggressive instances and when you're wrong call them out nip it in the bud speak precisely and if it persists you stay with it and keep persisting like no that's 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 not what's going to be happening anymore plain and simple um say whatever you need to say precisely for the given situation to nip it in the butt um these things i let i'll let some things slide because sometimes they give people benefit of the doubt you know maybe it's miscommunication but if things persist you know i i seek and call out pretty quickly honestly so i would do the same um but i always i don't do it laying into the guy i don't do it throwing in all this like dirty unnecessary speech of like weird other instances or weird name calling or weird scenarios just I, I go to it like a b c and d is wrong and you know it, it needs to stop um you're like really oh yeah, yeah. And they get all weird about it and like yeah it's like oh and sometimes some people deny it i had no idea i'm like well okay well now that you know okay um and then if they own up to it and like you know what i'm sorry i'm like well i appreciate you apologizing and you know, let's just move forward now. Um, then that's the end of that, typically. Quiet underscore pastures. How to channel anger as a man and not have flip-out moments. Uh, I'll refer to the previous answer that I answered Colin with. Um, yeah, I mean, anger isn't anger isn't good if it controls you. It, like, it can ruin, like, two of the wrong sentences can ruin your life. Especially now. Um, with all the nonsensical cancel culture, but you know, even in non-cancel culture, you can flip out on your boss, you can flip out on a friend, you can flip out on a, the love of your life and ruin things, and it can do irreparable damage just by a single lapse in judgment. So I always recommend cold anger. Hot anger is stupid, in my opinion. Um, there are some people who do really well with it. They live a certain lifestyle where wild hot anger makes sense, but not everyone does have that lifestyle. So I prefer cold, precise, controllable anger, which ultimately endures much better and gets you into less trouble and it's it's more productive. Um, who are your top five leaders? This is a question by XX Covain XX. Great question. Uh, oof. All right, you know, let's let's try to let's try to go across eras and across situations just to just make this fun. Um, the Duke of Wellington, Arthur Wellesley, um, the man to defeat Napoleon at Waterloo. Um, he was an incredible general. He was an incredible grand strategist. Um, did an incredible amount of damage with very few casualties. Um, big fan of that style of defensive warfare and defensive counter-striking and fighting. Um, so I would say he's an incredible leader. That's one. Um, number two, you know, Jesus Christ. I would say Jesus Christ, number one, uh, being an Orthodox Christian. So let's just, let's just get that, let's get that out of the way. If you don't know why, then you don't know Christianity at all. 
So, okay. Um, then, let's see, what else? We need three other leaders. Um, Honestly, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela um, took a really hostile situation in South Africa, and he even, you know, the great movie Invictus about this, he used rugby to sort of unite the nation that was split. I mean, it was under apartheid, right? Um, and, um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, he, he had a good, it could have had like a serious, massive civil war between white and black. And, um, said he had the famous lay down your weapons speech. And, um, yeah, you see the situation unraveling in South Africa now, and he was really the one keeping it together. So I'll say Nelson Mandela. Um, John F. Kennedy. I'm not going to go into why. <laughs> Do your research. Um, you need one more. Uh, sink leaders in sports. Ah, fuck sports. Um, military, religious. We had one American president, always take Kennedy. Um, please take my pause as trying to seek the best answer here. Um, who, who, you know, who do I look up to as a leader? Maybe that's maybe that's an easier way to answer this question. You can sift through my masculine schmood boards because I'm I'm sort of drawing a blank right here, guys. I'm not gonna lie. Um, this masculine schmood board had Barry Sanders, Turnstile, Condit, Lawler, Sammy Davis Jr. Okay, all right. You know I'll retract. Um, who I'll retract? You know I'm I'm just gonna spout off a bunch of leaders. Uh, Malcolm X. Malcolm X, amazing, amazing, amazing leader. Um, His early, his early words that he retracted, um, I, I think Malcolm X is a really great example of understanding that ultimately interracial relations is for the best and that peace is the best, but without sacrificing the identity of race. And I, I think that's a really powerful message of together but not the same. Um, they don't, you know, that obviously they don't teach them in schools in America. They always teach Martin Luther King, but I think, you know, Malcolm X is a far, far better leader who really practiced what he preached. Um, go check out a, a number of his speeches. Um, just incredible speaker. I mean, just absurdly eloquent, incredible speaker. Um, so that's one. I'm going to keep spouting off leaders, guys. Um... going to seep through the masculine schmoot boards. You know, not necessarily a leader, but my favorite general of all time is Hannibal Barca for his, um, in the, in the Punic Wars when he scaled the Alps to invade Italy, and he pretty much decimated the bulk of the Roman army that was still in Italy at the time with his Carthaginian 40 elephants, and I think only 12 survived, um, after he crossed the Alps, which no, no man on earth thought he was going to do, so let's put him in there. Um, There's a lot of fighters and a lot of athletes and a lot of fictional characters and um in my masculine shoe boards. Maybe I should maybe I should add more leaders. Oh, Octavian, Augustus Caesar. That guy knew how to balance everything so everyone either got what they wanted or believed they got what they wanted or believed they came out on top, and it was a true era of peace and Rome and an era of advancement. So definitely Augustus Caesar, without a doubt. Um or my, or my masculine schmoot boards. You know, you guys like my masculine schmoot boards. <laughs> you know, on average, more than my other kinds of posts. You know, my Muay Thai, my Muay Thai Mondays posts don't really get as much love as I'd like, but maybe that's that's too niche. Who knows? Um, you know, okay, let's let's throw a fictional leader in there. Um, for those of you who have seen the excellent miniseries Band of Brothers, you probably think I'm going to say major winners, but I'm actually going to say Captain Spears. So. A little spoiler for you guys, it's a 10-part miniseries, I'm only spoiling one episode. Um, there was a, okay, so the main character, Dick Winters, Major Winters, he um, he was the leader of the main sort of, they call a company, 
Um, so in the United the U.S. Army, you divide you know forces into sort of little, like little platoons and then companies and the battalions and then regiments and then divisions. I believe that's correct. Yes, it is. Okay. So the Band of Brothers miniseries is the account of. 101st Airborne Division, so these are paratroopers in the Western Front in World War II. Specifically, the 506 Regiment, which is run by, uh, I forget the name of the colonel, you, you see him in a couple of scenes. And then there's Easy Company, which is one of nine companies in the regiment, which is led by Lieutenant, then Captain, then Major Dick Winters. Um, when he was Captain Winters, he was a very good leader of the company, but then they needed help running the battalion, so he got moved up, so he wasn't allowed to sort of be in the front line leading his men. Um, and then they had a more political um, transfer, so like he was, this this guy was sort of uh, an acquaintance of someone higher up, uh, named Lieutenant Dyke, and they were in Bastogne for some World War II history. Um, in the Battle of Bastogne, it was the last German offensive. Um, in the harshest winter uh, in a very long time in um, the, not the Musargon, the Musarden forest, uh, Bastogne. And the 101st Airborne was, so at this point, they were thrown in and then they were isolated for a while until they were liberated by Patton and they were getting killed out there. They were just getting absolutely shelled. Um, and the lack of leadership from this Lieutenant Dyke, who really shouldn't have been given the post at all, was was getting his men killed, plain and simple, by being incompetent and being indecisive. Um, and none of his, none of the his platoon leaders, just by the rule of rank, were able to sort of take over, even though they had they had much better ideas. You know, notably, you know, Sergeant Lipton. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like quoting semi from history and semi from this miniseries here. But there, you know, there comes a scene where, and I'm 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 really going. This isn't fictional. This is this is real life. But it, we're doing a dramatic account, so it's straddling the border here. So for all of you guys who are gonna potentially jump on me saying he was a real person, I know he's a real person, guys. Um, he um, major major winners right at the time he's some captain winners. He he wants he he's looking from you know from a safe distance with the uh, the leader of the regiment, the colonel, and he says he starts. You know, he gets fed up about seeing his, his old his old company die, and he starts he starts marching forward. He's like, "They've got to keep moving forward." And the colonel comes up and is like, "Captain Winters, you're leader of the battalion now. You know, I know your attachment to Isaac." And he he walks right by the colonel, walks right by the colonel, doesn't listen to a damn word he says, and he calls upon this lieutenant who from another company called Dog Company, and. This guy had a reputation for having, you know, a kill switch. You know, he 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 had a little speech earlier in the series saying, "You got to accept when you're out here, you're already dead." So this guy was just an absolute fearless lead from the front, badass kind of a guy. Make if no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And <laughs> Captain Winter sees Spears, and he says, "Spears, get yourself over here." And he's like, "You're gonna go relieve Lieutenant Dyke," and he, he just like gives a nod, like a subtle assassin's nod and sprints over and he goes over to lieutenant dyke and he says i'm taking over and he goes over to the sergeant of the platoon and he says i want mortar fire here i want mortar fire on that rooftop until it's gone then you're going to regroup with me i'm going to link up with i company the guy runs across fire himself from tanks and machine guns from the germans he links up with another company to help orchestrate this this counterattack, and then he runs back he runs back through suppressing fire, and all of his new, like his his new men, as of five minutes ago, look at him and say, "Oh my God, <laughs> we got our guy." And that's an example of a leader from the front who will not ask anything of his men that he would not do himself. That's a leader. That is a leader. I think that's a great one to finish on. Yeah, go go watch, go watch Band of Brothers, guys, uh, and then go watch the Pacific. I actually, the, so Band of Brothers is a, a it, the, the Pacific is a follow-up ten-part miniseries. Like, uh, so Band of Brothers came out in '98. The Pacific came out in 2010. Um, to, yeah, the Pacific isn't as good, objectively good as Band of Brothers. It's not as balanced. It's not as complete. But like the highs of the Pacific are even better than the highs of Band of Brothers because the level of anguish and pain that you get watching it because of the, the horrors of the Japanese front, it's just, oh, God, I can't recommend it enough. Me being, you know, coming from an acting world and a storytelling world, like, I like being 
you know, plunge into that trauma despite despite having PTSD once upon a time. So maybe that's a bit ill-advised, but who cares? Um, second to last question. Can you explain high-intensity programs like Mike Menser's example with reps? With, uh, sorry. Can you explain high-intensity programs like Mike Menser's example with reps and sets? Okay, yeah, so... Um, you know, I don't really have the best grasp. I haven't seen the actual laid out, um, breakdown of Mike Mincer's full programming. I do have, like, I have studied in depth Dorian Yates' iteration of it, which set the bodybuilding world on fire. So, we, we, okay, so we have to understand the context here. This is purely for bodybuilding. So, I really wouldn't even recommend this for any strength pursuit. You can do this as a hypertrophy phase in, you know, long-term plan training. 8, maybe 10, maybe 12 weeks, but I wouldn't recommend over 12 weeks if your body just breaks down. Really, I'd recommend 8 for this um, if you're not just a pure bodybuilder. So what it is, uh, and again, this isn't Mike Mentz's, I'm explaining Dorian Yates's. He would, um, Dorian Yates would only have like three and a half hours per week of training, which gives you an idea of how intense this shit was. The sessions were nothing were nothing shorter, nothing longer than an hour. And Dorian Yates had famously trained with other bodybuilders. He'd write down the workouts. And the bodybuilder, the other bodybuilders were like, that's it? And he's like, you know, I'll tell you what, man. If you want to do something else after this, be my guest. And they never did. A lot of them threw up. You're basically, what you're doing is you're squeezing the muscle with the heaviest weight at the highest intensity possible to trigger like a growth period that takes like five days. So you're doing, you know, excuse me, true, you know, true isolated exercises. So in the format that Dorian Yates would do, um, to, to much success, you know, Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler also did this style of training to be so Jay Cutler, did some other weird shit, but Ronnie Coleman specifically took this to another level, which made Ronnie Coleman the goat. Um, but yeah, because Ronnie Coleman never did anything anything under every, anything over an hour, and this is mainly a scheduling thing due to him being a police officer. So the format, um, you're actually it's 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 less reps reliant, but the sets it's only three sets per exercise. So what you do is you do sort of like a warm up primer set, like let's take let's take decline bench press for example, right? Um, you know, really developing that chest. You're going to do a primer set. And then you're going to do a set to failure. Like, to true failure. Like, you are suffering. You are pressing the sarcoplasm as hard as you can. Um, and you're building that chest through that intensity. You're majorly shocking the muscle with the most reps you physically can do with the heaviest weight possible. So doing anything full rep after that makes no sense, but what is the third set then? The third set is the negative because the, the, the weakest part of the rep is the, the positive. The, the second week, the, 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 the mid-range is the static hold, but the, um, the strongest is the negative, so the lowering. So you get it, you have to do this with a training partner, especially for bench press. The, um, you'll grab the, the, the third set, you'll do this to failure as well. So it's two failure sets, but one for full reps and one for negatives. Um, so what you'll do is you'll unrack the weight and you'll lower it as slowly as you can and squeeze as much as you can. And then your training partner or partners will lift the weight back up for the positive and you'll do as many negatives as you can to failure after doing a set of positives to failure. Um, for, you know, for pressing, I know, you know, I think I, think I have... For, for back, for his back day. I'll give you an example. He did stuff like, he did seated rows. He did, um, there's there's a specific machine for sort of lat, um, lat development um, that really hits the, the lats to at every angle. Um, the machine sort of, it's one of the Nautilus machines. It looks like, I, I don't know the name of this. I'll, you know, I'll add it in the show notes as well. You, um, you have your arms sort of up by your, your ears, right? Um, bent as such. 
Um, and he sort of presses down, presses down from that high angle in, a, in almost a curved movement all the way down. And so you're, like, I'll give you, give you a better description. You have your hands up by your head, almost like you're being, you know, someone's telling you to freeze, right? But you don't have them all the way up, they're just by your head. And there are these, in the machine, there are these sort of platforms that you put your hands sort of parallel to. So your hands are vertical and the the, the platforms and machines are having you press now in a curvature. So you're pressing all the way down for your for your hands to be now down by your sides. And it hits the lats at every angle. So you would do that. He would do seated rows. He would do um, he would do barbell rows, and he would actually do deadlifts at the end, but he would only do like Romanian that he would only go up. He would pick it up, and then he would only go down the knees just to hit the back. And he did deadlifts not for the sake of strength, but for burnout um, to really hit the back. So he's doing that format for each of his exercises for each day, um, with one primer set, one warm up set. One to failure positive set and one to failure negative set. Um, he sometimes would have four workouts a week, but if he felt more fatigued, he would just do three. So what that looks like is very simply: it's a press workout, a pull workout, and a, uh, a just an all leg workout. So do leg press, do squats, um, do leg extension, leg curls in that format. Nothing over an hour, and you need to have an absurd amount of sleep and absurd amount of food for it to work. It does not work if you're trying to be a strength athlete. In a, in a full strength phase. If you're trying to go up a weight class in, in the off-season for powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting or strongman, I highly recommend it, honestly. Um, I don't recommend it for any kind of athlete, like, you know, field sport or combat sport athlete. I've done it. Um, but, yeah. It's fun stuff, though. And the last question, Dr. Underscore LMG, religion, end-all, be-all, or helpful guideline for a good life? You know, I, I've, I've said multiple times that, you know, while I'm Orthodox Christian, I don't, I'm, I'm never here to convert anybody, guys. I'm really not. Um, that kind of goes against what Orthodox Christians believe in. Like, you don't, I mean, there, maybe, maybe you, some of you guys have an example of this, but I don't, of a guy on a street corner with his Orthodox study Bible screaming that you're all going to go to hell. Like, no, we don't do that. Um, if you come to the church and ask us what we believe, you're going to be welcome without any talk of, you're welcome to go to as many services as you want without even being approached or conversion. If you show interest in conversion, then we sort of tell you the, the process of becoming a catechumen and then being baptized. But we don't, I, I, I feel the need to continue to preface this, guys, because it really isn't the purpose of this podcast. If you want to ask me about orthodoxy, I will talk about it until kingdom come. But this is also, so some of the parts of this podcast have to do with my life, and I'm orthodox, so that's why I mentioned it. Now, I'm going to take a completely detached, despite it being a Sunday, despite it being, I'm still being in Lent, completely detached to answer this question. Um, so to me, obviously, it's an end-all, be-all, but I think just having... Um, believing in a higher power and believing in sort of a source of morals and a source of ethics sets up society a bit better. Um, it makes sure that people don't wrong each other or at least gives them something to strive for. Everyone's going to fall short. Everyone's going to make an error in word or deed or thought, whether knowingly or unknowingly, right? Um, but it sets up a sort of a hierarchical structure to believe in something higher than oneself that holds dominion over morality and ethics, which I think is part of a functioning logos driving society um and you know more eastern religions there's a lot of practical wisdom you know in Taoism and confucianism and buddhism and you know a number of shamanistic religions as well so me me personally guys like i don't think you're fully complete without some form of spiritual life whether you're pagan or whether you're a muslim or a buddhist or a christian so yeah and the last bit guys uh, thank you again. Thank you so much for all your questions. These are great questions, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys did not disappoint. Um, so, to recap, uh, things on the horizon. The podcast, I have a lot of really interesting guests lined up for the podcast, guys. We're going to we're gonna continue to do, you know, sort of solar stuff, but I have some other podcasts branching out to other realms of Instagram and other areas of expertise and other disciplines. So, I think you're really going to enjoy it, guys. I think now's the time to sort of branch out a little bit. And, um, yeah, so then also with, uh, with the long form blood and rain books, 
Um, the, that content will be restored sometime this week, and then we'll return to the former schedule. Same thing in the former schedule with the podcast. Go, guys, reach out to Primal Thrive and I. Check out that free testosterone book on the link tree, both his and mine. Go give Primal Thrive a follow, and uh, please feel free to please feel free to reach out with any questions you have about um, the group coaching. The first, the next session of initial group coaching is um, is going to start next Saturday, so reach out to us to sign up and then if you have questions of two-on-one sort of training guidance um, where we sort of diagnose your pitfalls and try to get you where you're trying to go both testosterone wise physical mentally physically mentally in terms of training and mental toughness cultivation um, that's the more direct route and for those of you who have done the group coaching before we have the follow-up group coaching uh, launching very soon Um, and then the last announcement guys I would like to announce a sub podcast within this podcast. I've mentioned before that I have not met a man smarter than my father. I'm, I know, I'm sure that they're I'm sure they're out there, but I still haven't met one. And him and I are having a bunch of amazing conversations as usual. And fortunately, we're not going to be living in the same area much longer, which makes me very sad. I'm getting him into shape right now. But um, you know, even when I lived in England, even when I lived in New York, we had amazing conversations over the phone. So I'm announcing a new format within the, the this podcast called Conversations with My Father. Um, it's going to be a, lot, a bit more casual, you know, it's going to be a bit more, a bit less targeted, but it's going to be a pretty interesting range of topics, and um, we'll appear sporadically, you know, throughout the future. Um, and um, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be moving from the Bay Area to Miami, I'm moving from the Bay Area to one of those three aforementioned places, so yeah, but we're going to still visit each other quite a bit. Um, but you know, it's be really cool to work on something together, which is this, uh, sub podcast conversations with my father. So you all get to hear the voice and, you know, effectively meet, uh, father Dane. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to it guys. Um, so, uh, I hope all those questions and answers help you guys out. Um, please tune in to the latest episode of the podcast with being husband podcast. Um, that guy is just amazing. Jonathan West is fucking incredible, guys. He um he really is the authority in, in being a husband. He's in terms of you know podcasts, in terms of content creation. Um, if you're engaged, about to be engaged, or you're currently a husband, I would highly recommend you go listen to his podcast, the Being Husband Podcast. So I gotta get going, guys. I gotta get to work. Um, you know, it's the most most casual episode I've done. But I hope you're all well. I hope you'll enjoy this fine. Holy day, this fine day of the sun. So until next time, good day and good storms. Thank you.